Let's open uh, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. We have worked our way through chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and now we're in the closing words of Paul to the church at Ephesus. It's important that you have your Bible open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, Underneath the seat in front of you is a Bible. Uh, Turn there to the book of Ephesians. Now each week, as I have preached on a section of the um, book of Ephesians, you notice that I deliberately go back and start at the part where the section starts. Though we're only going to deal with one verse today, that's chapter 6 and verse number 4. But we must go back to chapter 5 to get the context to understand what Paul is talking about. Folks, listen to me. The Word of God makes sense. The Word of God is just not an isolated verse here and an isolated verse there. and It's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's hard to figure out. No. It is logical. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter. He is setting the stage as he moves through these different things. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, he's speaking of doctrinal truth. Then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, he's telling us how to behave. First he tells us what to believe. Now he's telling us how to behave. And this is practical. Dealing with the family. Dealing with wives, dealing with husbands, dealing with fathers. And we have come to the point, which is a key point in chapter 5, where Paul says, he commands us that we are all, we all that are saved are to be filled with the Spirit. That's verse number 18 of chapter 5, the verse right before that, he says, I don't want you to be foolish, but I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord for God's people to the Ephesian church is that you don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with intoxicants. Don't be filled with alcohol or drugs. But be filled with the Spirit. Now that's not spooky. We know, understand about getting drunk. How does a person get drunk? What do they do? They think in their mind, I'm going to get drunk. Or I'm going to take pills or whatever it might be. I want to get high. It starts in the mind. Then you got to go somewhere and get it. If you're going to get alcohol, you got to go to the liquor store, the package store, wherever it might be. And you have to willfully purchase the intoxicant. And then as you bring it home or wherever, it doesn't jump out of the bottle or the can or whatever and get into your mouth and go into your body. Again, what do you do? You submit yourself to the alcohol or whatever it might be. You take it with your hand. You then put it to your mouth. And then you imbibe it. You drink it or take it or whatever the case might be. You have made a conscious choice to submit yourself to the outside stimuli, 
by putting it in your body. And it changes you. Changes your mind. Changes your walk. Changes your talk. Gets you in trouble. Paul said, I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine. And then he tells us, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be under the influence of intoxicants, but be under the influence of the Spirit of God. When we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and ask the Spirit of God to control us, control our mind, control our thoughts, control our hearts, control our bodies, control our desires, we now are under the influence of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not a substance. The Spirit of God is not pouring into our bodies a little bit of the Spirit or a lot of the Spirit. He's a person. If you are saved, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. But that does not necessarily mean that you're being controlled by the Spirit of God. You can be controlled by the flesh. You can be controlled by your own desires or you yield to the Spirit and the Spirit fills you or controls you. You see, the terminology filled, it, it, it causes us to think that it's like a substance. I've got to be filled up with the Spirit. If you're filled with alcohol, that means when the policeman stops you driving, he tickets you for being under the influence. And we, when we are filled with the Spirit, we are controlled or under the influence of the Spirit. And then I've showed you each week, I know I've repeated this, this is not new for you that have been sitting here each week. But it's important that we go over this so that we see the context of the one verse we're going to look at. In verse number 4 of chapter 6. So after Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, then he tells you, if you are filled with the Spirit, there will be three things. Your heart will be affected in three ways. In verse number 19, you will have a song in your heart. Verse number 20, you will have thankfulness in your heart. Verse number 21, you will submit one to another. Period. Starting in verse number 18, all the way to verse 21 is one sentence. And then when you get to verse 21 at the end, period, that means full stop. You must consider what is said in all three verses. And we are okay with, yeah, I'll have a song in my heart. Yeah, we're okay with, I'll have thankfulness in my heart. But I've got to submit to other people. This is where the proverbial rubber meets the road. I've known many people over my 54 years of being a Christian who have claimed to be Holy Ghost filled, tongue speaking and all these other things that had a rebellious spirit in them who did not submit to the pastors or the elders of the church, would not submit to other people, would not submit in their home, 
That, dear friend, no matter what they say, how much they're filled with the Holy Ghost, they are not under the control of the Holy Spirit if they will not submit one to another. And then Paul gives the examples. In verse number 22, he says, wives. In verse number 25, he says, husbands. In verse number 1 of chapter 6, he says, children. And then he says in verse number 4, fathers. And then in verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, slaves or bond servants, or in our day, it would be applied to employees. And then in verse number 9, masters or bosses. In each of these things, he gives us the clearest practical working out of what it means to be filled or controlled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We will submit one to another. Wives submitting to their husbands. Husbands submitting to their wives. You say, that's not what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives. But keep reading. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What greater picture of submission than what Jesus did when he submitted himself. Let them take his hands and nail them to the cross. Take his feet and nail them to that tree. He submitted himself because he loved the bride. All of us who are saved and who will be saved in the future make up the church, make up the bride of Christ. He gave himself, submitted to sinful men. And then we saw last week, chapter 6, verse 1, children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. They're to honor their father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the land. Now, verse number four, one sentence, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now you say, Brother Rodney, that doesn't sound like submission. I would ask you to think deeper about what it just said. If a father is controlled by the Spirit, he will yield himself to his children. Not meaning that they are to run the home, but meaning that he is to submit in giving of himself to his children. It's the fleshly part of a father who badgers his children or belittles his children. And provokes his children to anger and bitterness, exasperation. As a father, and the father is the governmental head of the family. Remember when this was written in Bible times, in the Roman 
the families of the Roman government, it was no dispute who the head of the family was. It was the fathers. And of course, the mothers are connected in this. Remember what it said about the the wife? Her husband is her head, just as Christ is the head of the church. And we as the church submit to Christ, His Word. And so, fathers, they are the head of the home. They are very important in the home. They are crucial to the home. They are indispensable to the home. But you say, but what about... Yeah, there's a lot of different situations we could talk about where a father has been killed and he's not in the home anymore. Or there's been a divorce and generally the kids will be with the mother. There's a lot of different scenarios that we could talk about. But let's put those to the side for right now and look at the God-ordained order in the home. The fathers, and we know the mothers, raise the children. So here is a don't, don't provoke your children to anger. And then there's some do's. Do bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this morning, my title is Fathers, Do's and Don'ts from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. Let's pray. Lord, would you please, by your Spirit, Speak to us today. Help us today. Convict us today. Instruct us today. Help us, Lord, please. For the sake of our families. For the sake of society. For the sake of your kingdom. Make a difference in fathers and mothers and children and homes today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot that we could talk about this morning, and I've tried to take the simple don't. That's the negative. Don't do something. There's a lot of things that we could say we're not supposed to do. Don't as husbands or parents, as wives, as mothers and fathers. But here, why would Paul say this? Why would he pick this out and say, Fathers, don't provoke your children. Well, we're going to... Look at that in just a moment. Let, let me just give some general thoughts about the family, about fathers. And you've you got to remember when Paul wrote this, he's writing to the Ephesians church. They are under the Roman government. And it was accepted in the Roman government that... The fathers had carte blanche with their families. You could beat your wife. You could kill your wife. You could beat your kids. You could kill your kids. And you were protected. That's not God's way. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. you got to... Forget about the way you were raised, men. 
husbands, you have a responsibility to your children. A renowned statesman in Rome, or under the Roman government, was named Seneca. Seneca, in one of his statements, he says, and I quote, We slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into a sick cow. Children born weak or deformed, we drown. That was the mindset of the Roman government. There was a cheapening or a there was not great value upon certain people. And of course abortion was also practiced in that day also. That's the mindset of some. I was reading about Martin Luther. Martin Luther, you know, who became the, uh, the titular head of the Reformation. Of course, there were others involved. But in 1517, you know, the, the kickoff of the Protestant Reformation. And, uh, you know, he wanted to be a lawyer. His dad made him be a priest. And he hated it. He even said, I hate God sometimes. Tells me to love him, and I can't love him. He even said that his father was so stern and had beat into him, not physically, but had beat into him such resentment and anger. He said, I had a hard time, you know, he became a priest, and he said, I had a hard time saying the Lord's Prayer. Because he said, I had a hard time saying, Our Father. All I could see is my Father. His severity. His always chiding. And... Martin Luther said that to parents that you are not to spare the rod because you will spoil the child. He said we are to use corporal punishment. The scriptures teach that. Proverbs teach that. But Martin Luther in his quaint way he said when you reach for the rod, parents, always have an apple beside the rod so that when you don't have to use the rod, you can give your child an apple of encouragement to do what's right, not always focusing on what's wrong. I had... Uh, in my reading and in my looking at all types of different things, the famous painter years ago, I didn't recognize his name, but he was a famous painter centuries ago. He said, one day, my dear mother had to do some errands and she left me to look after the younger children. And he said, I found some inks some different colored inks. And I got those inks as a young uh, man, a young boy that liked to draw. And he said, I started drawing the picture of my sister. He said, I spilled the ink and mother's going to be upset when she gets home. And he said, when she got home and she looked at the mess... She picked up the piece of paper 
And she called his name and said, Oh, I see Susie. She didn't get on to him. But she encouraged him. And the, the story goes that as he would speak years later to crowds about his paintings, he said, that day I became a painter. When my mother used tender words to encourage my heart and literally set my life on a course being a painter. Many of us know John MacArthur, pastor in California. He tells about how he visited a young woman from their church. He was asked to go see her. She was in a padded cell. And she was in a state of catonic shock. She was not responsive. She was a Christian. Been raised in a Christian family. But her mother had ceaselessly pushed her to be the most popular, the most beautiful, the most successful girl in school. These are John MacArthur's words. She became head cheerleader, homecoming queen, and later a model. But the pressure to excel became too great and she had a complete mental collapse. After she was eventually released from the hospital, she went back into the same artificial and demanding environment. When again she found that she could not cope, she committed suicide. She had summed up her frustration when she told me one day, John MacArthur, I don't care what I do, it's never satisfying my mother. We can have disastrous effects upon our children, parents. And I'm not just speaking to fathers, but parents in general. We're told that we must be fair with our children. We must be loving with our children. We must have a consistent attitude toward our children. But what does it say there in verse number four? Don't provoke your children to anger. This is the first thing that we see here in our text. Don't mishandle your children. That's my words. Don't mishandle the gifts that God has given to you. You ever get something in the mail or delivered to you and it says on the box, fragile or fragile. Uh, it's precious or it's fragile. It is easily broken. It is easily uh, affected. And we would all say, Pastor, yes, our children are gifts to us. You remember how you felt when that first child was born and you couldn't believe that you were now a father, you were now a mother, and you held that little fragile gift in your hand? Is it possible to mishandle our gifts? Yes, it is. 
we can cause that little thing to break. We can cause that little thing to be deformed in their understanding of things by the way we are to them. We are not to mishandle. What does it mean there? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But generally speaking, we're not to mishandle our gifts. If we do mishandle our gifts, it will lead to three things. Secondly, he says here that we're not to provoke our children. It will lead to provocation. Not to provoke your children. That means that there's something that we have caused, we have done, that has made the effect of provoking in the child. They weren't born provoked to anger. They were caused to be that way by stimuli, by those who had influence upon them. So if we mishandle the gift that God has given us children, we can provoke them to anger. Thirdly, or the second thing that will result is embittering our children. Causing bitterness to rise up in our children's hearts toward the parents. And then a word that is used, do not exasperate. This is a result, exasperate. Provoking your children to anger, if you put it into one word, that means to exasperate the child. Meaning the child, because of the things the parents have done, has caused them to be provoked to anger. They have become embittered. They have finally come to exasperation. Now let me stop right here just a second. There are no perfect fathers or mothers in this room. As I was studying and preparing and praying knowing this was what I was going to preach for weeks, I hurt in my heart as I look back at failures in my life with mishandling the gifts that God gave us. Celeste and I, seven gifts Five girl gifts, two boy gifts. They are different in many ways. And all seven of our children were different. Different temperaments, different. They're all different. And we as parents have to study our children No, we can't deal with all of them exactly the same way. One could be bruised and hurt with a sharp word, and another one doesn't bother them at all. They don't seem to be bothered by it. Forty-eight years ago when our first one was born, and then the next, and all seven, I look back and I am convicted. Because I 
did not have the right attitude. I did not handle them in a proper way. Now, don't get me wrong. I repented. I had a very short account with the Lord and I've repented to the Lord and I've repented to my children. I've asked them different situations. Would you forgive me? But it hurt me. It hurts me. Still, they say, Daddy, don't worry about that. Daddy, I say, well, I, I think of one thing with my daughter, Rachel, that I just mentioned the other day to some of the kids that I caused her to bust out crying because of what I was saying to her while she was driving the car. And oh, did I feel like a dirty, sorry, nothing when she burst out crying. Didn't even realize what I was doing, but I was provoking her with my unkind and uh, instructions that I was saying to her. We don't want to do those things there. We don't want to mishandle our kids. We don't want to provoke them. We don't want to embitter them. We don't want to exasperate them. Now, Let's look at the commands. The scriptural imperatives found here in verse 4. The first one, we, we've already hit these, but the first one, we must not provoke our children. We must not when I think of provoking our children or provoking someone, my mind immediately goes to provoking a dog. And when I was five years old and up to my teenage years, down the street, my good friend, I, we lived on one corner. He lived on the next corner of Meadowbrook Drive and Winder. And they had the meanest, scariest German shepherd. He was on about a hundred-yard cable or wire. And he was able to go back and forth about that hundred yards. And we used to taunt that dog, provoke that dog. He would get so angry and try to get us, but we knew how close we could get. And he'd come at us and he'd be jerked back. That's what comes to my mind when I think about provoking but of course here is talking about not a dog but children that we can cause anger to rise up in children if we are not careful i read where someone had said that uh, here's some things to avoid with our children Father, and this is the mother too, must be fair, must be loving, must have a consistent attitude toward their child. They, we must, parents, take into consideration that they are little people. They are kids. What do kids have bound in their heart? Naturally, from the fall, from their birth, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So says Proverbs. 
But the rod of correction shall drive that foolishness out of them. That does not mean beat them enough and they won't be foolish anymore. It's meaning the rod was an instrument, not like a lead or a steel rod. This was a utensil used to spank a child in the place where God has so endowed a child to be spanked without breaking a bone in the buttocks, in the behind. Some have used with great effectiveness switches. Many of you were told by your parent, go get me a switch. And you better get the good kind of switch, not the one that's going to break the first time you get hit. Um, But an instrument. We never use our hands on our kids. We don't slap a child. We don't hit a child with our hands, but we use an instrument. We use a switch or a paddle or a... uh, spoon or something to get the child's attention. But we've got to remember that they are kids. We are not to compare them to others. We're not to discipline them inconsistently. We're, We're not to fail to express approval, even at little accomplishments, We're not to fail to express our love to them. Say, I love you. Growing up, did you hear those words from your dad and your mom? I didn't. Until after I got saved, and I would talk into my dad on the phone, I would say, Daddy, I love you. And he'd start to say, I love you too. But never do I remember from his own desire to say, I love you. But we've got to show our love and tell our love. And we should not ever withdraw our love from them. We should be very careful that we are fair, that we are loving and compassionate, just like our Lord was in all of our disciplines since we've been saved. He disciplines us, and it does cause pain, and it does cause hurt, and it does cause um, sometimes even disastrous things. You know what it says in the book of Hebrews? It says that this is the way the Lord deals with his children. First, he speaks to us. If that won't correct us. Then he has to chasten us. Then it says if that will not work, then he will scourge us. Now, when you talk about scourging, that's a pretty, and that's a pretty serious thing. And in First John, it says that he will even take us home early if we won't listen, if we won't respond to chastening, if we will not respond to the scourging that there is a sin unto death. And he says to the church, y'all don't pray for that one who has committed the sin unto death. In other words, your prayers are going to be ineffective because God says they've crossed the line. So fathers, mothers, we must not provoke them. Now here's the three positive commands. We must nourish them, nourish them, or nurture them. That's what it means when it says, but bring them up. 
The Greek word used there, bring them up, is the word nourish them. Nourisheth them. It's the same word that's used in chapter 5 and verse number 29 where Paul said, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it just as Christ does the church. So we are to nurture them as we bring them up. The next command that we are positively to do, we are to discipline them. Look at verse number four. Bring them up, that's nurture them, in the discipline. Discipline. Discipline is spoken of all through the book of Proverbs. We see that there were several in the Bible that did not discipline their kids correctly. Did things with their children that were not good. We see that David pampered his son Absalom. Set a bad example for him. The results were tragic. Eli, the priest... He would not discipline his sons and they brought disgrace to the name and the defeat of Israel when they, the sons of the priests, were having sex with ones at the door to the temple. And God judged Eli, judged his sons, he killed his sons. But he said to Eli, You knew what they were doing, but you would not discipline them. You remember that Isaac seemingly pampered Esau. And his wife showed favoritism to the brother Jacob. There was a divided home. Jacob was showing favoritism to Joseph when he made him a coat of many colors that brought dissension between the brothers when they sold him into slavery. There's there's many examples that we can see in the Word of God that we are to make sure that we are careful to discipline our children in the ways of God. And then quickly the last thing, the fourth thing that we are to do or the third positive thing that we are to do that we are to instruct them. Do you see that in verse number four, the last phrase? That we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord is meaning that we teach them the ways of God. We teach them things like honor the Lord's day. We don't go to Six Flags on the Lord's day. Even if we go on vacation, as was our habit all the years bringing our children, We went on vacation. If we're on the road on the Lord's Day, we stop somewhere and go to church. I figured roughly that Celeste and I, since we've been married, that we have been in the Lord's house, unless we were sick, 26 Hundred Sundays. And our children from Josh 48 years ago would never miss the Lord's Day. We don't put anything above the Lord's Day. The law of God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And of course, in the New Testament, The Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. It became the Christian Sabbath Sunday, the Lord's Day. And I would not dare miss the Lord's Day. 
I would dare not set the example for my children or my grandchildren that, well, Pop, he went here or he went there or he took us here or there and and we, we didn't go to church those days. You might say, well, Pastor, you're being legalistic about this. No, I don't think it's legalistic at all. I think it's what God says we're to do. And I know that bites you that are sitting there that are not faithful on the Lord's day. Or you hit and miss on the Lord's day. But you need to hear it from your loving pastor. You young mothers and fathers... Always have your children in the house of God. Don't let anything come before that. But we're to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Instruct them about the Bible. Instruct them about the house of the Lord. Instruct them about prayer. Instruct them. May they see your instruction, way you live and what you do. These are commands. These are imperatives. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. I've got a little bit more to say to you, but let's bow our heads. Parents, grandparents, you are going to one day look back and rue the day You're going to look back and say, why did I not do better? We'll all look back and see how that we have handled our gifts, our children, or our grandchildren, and we'll have regrets. Stop those regrets today. Don't let anything stand in your way of bringing your kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord, the teachings of the Lord. Lord willing, as one of the pastors here, one of the elders here, I will do everything that I can. My desire is to help every family here to one day when you stand before God, you will not look back and say, well, I really didn't have these things impressed upon me in my church. I hope you'll be able to look back and say, I'm thankful that my pastors lovingly taught us how we should be with our children, these gifts that God has given us. Make some decisions in your heart this morning, dear friends. Drive a stake in the ground and say, from this day forward, these things will be non-negotiables in my family or with my grandchildren. Oh, Father, would you help us, I pray. Help us to be strong in the Lord. And we fathers and mothers, may we be controlled by the Spirit, under the Spirit's influence in dealing with our gifts that you have given to us, these little boys and these little girls. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand to our feet and we're going to sing as our closing song. Faith of our fathers. Faith of our fathers. Looking back, some of us did not have fathers or families that brought us up in the ways of God. Hopefully it will be different with you. Let's sing this together. Oh
Tonight, we'll be having the Lord's Supper. Instruct your kids, moms and dads, husbands, wives, families, even those children who are not yet made professions of faith and been baptized, they still can learn by observing what God's people do at the Lord's table. Be here tonight for a message about the Lord's Supper, and then we will partake of the table. Now, here is our benediction. And remember what a benediction is. A benediction is a departing blessing. The priest would do a benediction over the people. And I, as the pastor, one of the pastors here, one of the elders here, I pronounce this blessing upon you. As we go, let's think about a dying Savior's love, a risen Savior's joy, an ascended Savior's power, and a returning Savior's hope. I pray that you will rest your hearts and your homes upon these truths as you leave this morning. Let's bow our heads for just a moment of silence. Be quiet and savor our time of worship this morning and instruction from the Word. And when the music begins, that's the sign the service is over. If I can help anybody, come see me here at the front. I'll be glad to talk with you, pray with you, help you in any way that I can.